Welcome to Lucan Priorities, contemporary conversations surrounding Lukacs, New Testament studies, early Christianity, and ecclesial theology. My name is Andrew Waller. I'm an academic researcher in New Testament from Austin, Texas. On this episode, I'll be discussing John Webster's article, Reading Theology. This article was originally Webster's inaugural lecture uh, at the University of Toronto in 1995. The article was later revised and published in 1997 in the Toronto Journal of Theology, and it's that version of the text that I'll be discussing today. It's worth noting here at the outset that this article was actually my first major introduction to Webster's work. I'd been wanting to get into Webster for some time, and this article kept coming up in various summaries of his, uh, his thought that I'd been reading, and so it seemed like a great place to start. So, without further ado, let's jump right in. In Reading Theology, Webster sets out to argue for the importance of texts to the intellectual life of the church. So his primary question is, how is theological thought shaped by our engagement with the texts of the Christian tradition? And he actually begins not with theology itself, but with two reflections from the realm of philosophy. One from Descartes, the 17th century French philosopher, one of the trailblazers for the rationalist school of thought, and another reflection from Hegel, the 18th century German idealist. And Webster juxtaposes these two figures by pointing out their relationship to texts and tradition. Webster quotes two passages, one from Descartes' Discourse on Method and another from Hegel's Lectures on the History of Philosophy, but I'll simply summarize Webster's observations here rather than reading those passages verbatim. On the one hand, Descartes prioritizes his detachment and decontextualization. So, according to Webster, Descartes saw books, what he refers to as the study of letters, as interfering with his ability to achieve pure self-awareness and reflection. So, for Descartes, knowledge was only worth pursuing if it could be obtained through introspection. So, understandably, this perspective led Descartes to reject texts and textual knowledge as a legitimate means of gaining knowledge. On the other hand, Hegel, he comments that the life of the mind is, quote, linked inseparably with the fact that we are in history. So this is not the detachment of Descartes. For Hegel, tradition is essential to reflection. We are embedded within the streams of history. So for Hegel, each generation of thinkers is therefore responsible for taking the inheritance that they've been given and improving upon it. And so, given these two uh, very different perspectives, Webster asks the following question. He says, quote, What is the relation of intellectual activity to its traditions? Uh, to state that another way, are texts and traditions a foundation or a scaffolding to build upon, or are they instead an obstacle that needs to be cleared away? Uh, do they help or hurt us as we seek to uh, gain knowledge. 
And for Webster, uh, modern theology must ask this question as well. Does the pursuit of theological understanding or knowledge of God begin with the independent rational self, Descartes-like? Or does it instead flow out of some sort of Hegelian stream of tradition? And as you might expect, uh, Webster is biased towards Hegel. According to Webster, when we're doing theology, we don't just start from scratch. We don't simply begin from nothing. We don't begin with independent, inward-facing introspection, like Descartes, but instead we appropriate, we transform the tradition of Christian thoughts as we seek to make progress towards knowledge of God. So ultimately, Webster views tradition and texts as foundational for doing theology. So having considered those two philosophical perspectives, Webster moves more directly into his discussion of theology. So if engaging and reading texts is important to intellectual life, what does that mean for theology specifically? Webster begins by presenting his definition of tradition, and he does so in specifically theological terms. Webster describes what he calls a theological account of theology, in that the reading and creation of theology is always related to divine action. So to say it another way is to say it this way. Tradition is not just a literary category or a hermeneutical category, but rather Webster says that, quote, tradition is a function of the encounter of the risen Jesus and his people. So from that perspective, Webster views tradition as inherently ecclesiological. So tradition is not just an acknowledgement of a connection between knowledge and reflection and a human community or social contexts. Uh, it's more complicated than other variations of tradition that we might think of. Uh, sometimes the, the textual traditions that we're used to thinking of, uh, you might Think of examples like uh, the Shakespearean canon or the classical tradition. Uh, and all of these sorts of examples have connections to human community, social contexts. But Webster is very focused on theology, not just as a tradition, even in this anthropological sense, but specifically in an ecclesiological sense. So by pointing specifically to the church, Webster's theological account of theology really emphasizes the human response to the presence and action of God. So the theological tradition is not simply a set of texts and customs that exist in a human community, but a human community that is specifically responding to divine action. Uh, and in some ways, you know, I'm not an epistemologist by any stretch of the imagination, but this language brought to my mind things like Michael Polanyi's personal knowledge, which points to the situatedness, uh, the context of human knowing. However, Webster's specifically churchly perspective, his ecclesiological perspective, 
makes it clear that he sees theology as embedded in the life of the church. So this is a little bit more than a sort of co-opted personalism or a Christianized Polanian perspective. This is very uniquely ecclesiological. And this connection between the church and what Webster calls theological theology becomes clear in two proposals that Webster puts forth. First, Webster proposes that, quote, theology serves the word of God by assisting the church to remain faithful to the gospel as it is manifest in Holy Scripture. So theology serves the word of God by assisting the church to remain faithful to the gospel as it is manifest in Holy Scripture. Here, Webster is prioritizing exegesis or the interpretation of the Bible. So in some way, all theology, according to Webster, is exegesis, since doctrines are intended to portray or depict the contents of Scripture. However, as Webster notes, this can be a bit of a tricky concept, since a lot of more modern conceptions of the relationship between Scripture and doctrine have sometimes tended to see the interpretation of Scripture as a means to a doctrinal end. Uh, that is, according to some ways of thinking about theology and doctrine, we read Scripture for the sake of formulating doctrine. But Webster points to a historical shift in the relationship between Scripture and doctrinal reflection within early Protestant thought that is quite telling. He notes that both Philip Melanchthon's Loca Communis and John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion were explicitly not intended to replace direct engagement with Scripture. So both of these texts were intended to summarize various points of doctrine and provide a scriptural index for those doctrines so that the reader could then go back to Scripture and more deeply study those doctrines in Scripture itself. So they're not intended to be dictionaries or compendiums of doctrine, uh, but rather a tool that would direct the reader back to the scriptural text itself. Now, Webster contrasts this with the compendium of Willebius, uh, published in 1626, so some decades after both of those other texts. And Willebius's compendium, in Webster's assessment, conceives of itself not so much as an accessory to scripture, but more of a complete collection of doctrine in its own right. And so Webster observes that, quote, theology, in the context of the compendium, comes to be a matter of reconceiving the contents of the Bible through a system of propositions. And this is actually something that Mike Bird has pointed to in his evangelical theology, uh, this sort of approach to doctrinal formulation has, according to Mike, become a relatively common modus operandi in recent decades. And this is something that Mike uh, quite humorously calls the Theological Sausage Maker 3000, uh, where you sort of take all the contents of the Bible 
and you process that scriptural content through your doctrinal reflection until it comes out in this new propositional format. And then there you go. You've got freshly cased, delicious doctrine ready to be consumed. So this process sort of takes uh, this sort of loose leaf biblical content and turns it into doctrine that we can then consume apart from the text of scripture. But uh, according to Webster, and as a New Testament researcher, I'm inclined to agree, theological reflection shouldn't try to improve upon the concepts and arguments made in scripture itself. Rather, Webster argues that theology should, quote, follow the path already indicated by the movement of divine revelation. So I think Webster would laud both Calvin and Melanchthon's uh, notion that their texts, although they are attempting to formulate doctrine, are actually pointing the reader back to the text of Scripture rather than attempting to reformat and repackage scriptural content apart from the text itself. But let's go back to Webster's proposal that theology serves the word of God by assisting the church to remain faithful to the gospel as it is manifest in Holy Scripture. And that last part is key, assisting the church to remain faithful to the gospel as it is manifest in Holy Scripture. So if theology or doctrinal formulation has taken the place of Scripture as the primary source and context for theological reflection, it has, according to Webster's account, failed to serve the Word of God. So theology's purpose is to serve the Word of God and assist the church rather than taking the place of the Word of God as sort of the central uh, context for theological reflection. To say it another way, theology exists to help the church define and bring to light what has already been revealed within the text of Scripture, and theology also serves to describe what Scripture does not say. So this works both positively and negatively. And this brings us to Webster's second proposal. Quote, Theology serves the Word of God by assisting the church to remain alert to the challenge of the gospel as it is manifest in Holy Scripture. Webster argues that Scripture is interrogative, that is, Scripture is not simply a text that we read or ask questions of. Instead, Scripture exists in the context of God's dealings with the church. And this really points us back to Webster's description of theological theology towards the beginning of the article. Divine agency and the church are at the center of how Webster is conceiving of theology. And so, in that context, the church not only asks questions of Scripture, but Scripture also asks for a response and action from the church. So, Webster sees a danger in a theological tradition that solidifies or becomes static in some way, uh, a tradition that no longer strives for that response to the challenge of the gospel. So for Webster, this sort of static, solidified tradition leads to a church which is no longer reliant on scripture, but has been stifled by its own readings of scripture. On that sort of trajectory, the church's readings of scripture 
actually replace the Word of God as the church's foundation and source. So our readings of Scripture, rather than Scripture itself, become the foundation. And in Webster's mind, that is exactly the sort of thing that will numb and stifle the church's living out of the gospel's challenge. Having said all of this, what then is the role of theology according to Webster? Two things are important here. First, tradition must always, quote, discriminate between itself and the word of God. So according to Webster, Christian tradition must maintain some sort of awareness that tradition itself is not the word of God, but that the word of God is itself the definitive source of Christian tradition. And so tradition then is always subject to revision in the way that it represents the gospel and the contents of scripture. Secondly, the church prevents the sort of stifling, static, solidified tradition that I mentioned a second ago, not by finding increasingly clever and sophisticated ways of reading scripture, but by pursuing a deeper understanding of revelation and focusing on the practice of learning to hear in faith. And so, according to Webster, reading scripture itself, pursuing the pathways of revelation, prevents that sort of entrenchment of tradition uh, that Webster sees as so harmful. And finally, Webster asks what his account of theological theology might mean for theological education. And given the proposals that Webster's outlines, what is the impact of theological theology and reading theology within the Christian tradition? What is the impact on our pursuit of theological knowledge? Webster suggests that a theological school should be, quote, a place where both scripture and all the classics of Christian response to scripture are read in common to the end of the formation of Christian intellectual habits. So, all that to say, those pursuing theological learning ought, according to Webster, to read within the Christian theological tradition, and that reading should be in some way formative, the formation of intellectual habits. And Webster immediately follows this suggestion by admitting that what he's saying might be perceived as uh, elitist or intellectualist. And I suspect that many Christians in sort of the broadly evangelical uh, Protestant world in particular might agree. So are we suggesting that in order to participate in theology, to pursue knowledge of God, people have to jump into this canon of classical texts and study a bunch of authors and theologians? Isn't that prioritizing a certain type of intellectual life and making too much of texts and traditions, uh, giving those a higher place in the life of the church than they should have? And that's a legitimate question. Uh, and furthermore, Webster acknowledges the danger of a sort of intellectualism that is isolationist and exclusively inward-facing, that isn't able to deal with uh, the challenges of society. And Webster suggests that if the church is to engage with the myriad issues that do exist in society, 
then the church must also re-engage with its own textual tradition. And so Webster concludes that, quote, the public reading of Holy Scripture, the celebration of the sacraments, the confession of the church, and the traditions of Christian commentaries on those realities are the Christian voice. And so ultimately, Webster sees all of those things, the Christian tradition, theological theology, as being essential to the Christian voice. I'm not sure that Webster ultimately, at least in this article, answers the the challenge or the accusation of intellectualism, but I think he at least succeeds in pointing to some urgency or necessity uh, when it comes to texts and the textual tradition of the church. And I think there's a lot to agree with here in Webster's account of reading theology. But one question that I am left with at the end of his discussion is the question of the individual reader. Webster's argument, for the most part, remains at the ecclesial or institutional level. And this this makes complete sense. Uh, This article is, as I mentioned at the beginning, a revised version of his inaugural lecture as professor of systematic theology at Wycliffe College at the University of Toronto back in 1995. And so when Webster is talking about the theological school, the context of Wycliffe College, the pursuit of formal theological education, that is certainly in view. And so I don't fault in any way Webster for sort of not addressing uh, the individual reader or even uh, the lay reader in this particular context. However, just a question that one might be left with, uh, what of the individual reader? Webster makes what I think is an excellent case for the necessity and importance of engaging with the church's textual tradition. And he also provides some quite helpful direction for how the church and the theological school should orient themselves with respect to that tradition. But at the same time, those are very institutionally driven orientations. And it's interesting to me that Webster began with two examples from philosophy, Descartes and Hegel. Their reflections, uh, at least to me, seem to be largely concerned with the place of the individual reader in the stream of history. So Descartes, on the one hand, sort of rejecting uh, tradition, Hegel, on the other, embracing it. And this is where I think some of the more recent reflections on narrative and interpretive theory might come in handy. In this conversation. Uh, towards the beginning of the article, Webster laments the, at least in his mind, non-theological nature of, for example, reader response theory and some of the more recent uh, developments in narrative and hermeneutical theory. However, I think it's not an overstatement to say that, by and large, modern readers aren't accustomed to swimming in streams of textual tradition. For better or for worse, and I'd argue usually worse, we are very used to as modern, or we should probably say postmodern readers, we're used to approaching knowledge in a very decontextualized way. So there may be some benefit in using Webster's institutional and ecclesial level observations here and employing them as a scaffolding to help individual readers deal with the mechanics and complexities 
of reading within textual tradition on a personal level as well as a communal level. So I would want to maybe take what Webster's uh, noticed and observed here with reference to the theological school and the church and sort of continue that trajectory onto the level of the individual reader. There's also a whole range of historical attitudes towards texts and reading that I think would be really useful and uh, fruitful here. Uh, I'm thinking mostly of, for example, medieval attitudes towards reading, uh, viewing texts as maps, viewing the practice of reading as something that is spiritually formative. And some of these historical attitudes could be perhaps brought into conversation with some of the things that Webster's outlined here to concretize and give shape to some of Webster's argument when it comes to the actual practice of reading itself on the individual as well as the institutional level. Overall, I really enjoyed engaging with this article. Uh, I highly recommend checking it out. It's not very long. It's only about 10 pages. Um, and I think Webster's observations uh, still ring true even in the two decades plus since he originally delivered this lecture. Like I said at the beginning, this was my sort of first uh, step into Webster's work, and I'm really looking forward to engaging with his thought uh, more in the future. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for more Lucan Priorities as 2020 moves forward.